From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, President Trump was in Georgia Saturday for a rally in support of the two GOP senatorial candidates, David Perdue and Kelly Leffler. But prior to his arrival, attorneys for the Trump campaign filed a lawsuit on Friday calling for the court to vacate the presidential election results because of fraud and violation of various state laws. Election attorney Cleta Mitchell will be here in just a moment with more. And speaking of lawsuits, 38 U.S. senators have filed an amicus brief in support of the Kentucky attorney general who is in a legal showdown with the Kentucky governor over, you guessed it, religious discrimination masked as protections against coronavirus. Oklahoma Senator James Langford, one of those 38, joins us a little later here on Washington Watch. We'll also get some uh, insight on an announcement made from the U.S. Department of Labor today that has been years in the making, years, three years, to protect religious freedom. Senator Langford's been a part of that. We'll talk about that. Also, over the weekend, the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, via Justice Samuel Alito, moved up the schedule for Pennsylvania officials to respond to a lawsuit, another election lawsuit, by Congressman Mike Kelly, challenging the Keystone State's vote-by-mail law as being unconstitutional. Now, does the action by Justice Alito matter? Some say the timing of this is very important. We'll find out from Pete Hutchison. He is president of Landmark Legal Foundation, which filed the lawsuit. And when you consider the radical social policies of uh, a potential Biden administration with what corporate America has been doing, it may end up being like having Frankenstein marrying Godzilla. Danzilla, Dan Celia is here with the latest proposal by NASDAQ telling publicly traded businesses that they need to make sure they're sufficiently woke. We'll talk about that here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Conservative Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. All right. uh, As I mentioned, the president on Saturday fired up a rally of about uh, over 10,000 people in Georgia. Uh, Here's uh, a little bit of what he had to say. As you know, a major issue in this state is voter fraud. It's been a big issue for a long time, but never like this. We sent out... Tens of thousands, millions and millions of ballots. Nobody knew where they came from, where they are. People were getting two, three, four ballots. They were signing them, sending them in. What a mess. And, uh, you know, he was there to help uh, the two senatorial candidates that are in an unprecedented runoff. Uh, this This is unprecedented in what's happening in Georgia, the balance of the United States Senate, uh, depending on these two Senate seats that just happen to be up at the same time. Rarely happens, but it's happening. Now, the president, that was the reason he was there, but he was also drawing attention to how the left operates. This is something else he had to say while he was there. The left lies, they cheat and they steal. They are ruthless and they are hell-bent on getting power and control by any means necessary. They investigate you and they prosecute you. The moment you question them, they try and intimidate you. They call you a poor American. You're not a good American. You don't love our country. They don't love our country. They beat you down, shut you up, and make you retreat. Joining me now to talk about the Trump campaign's lawsuit that was filed in the Peach State on Friday is election law attorney Cleta Mitchell with more than 40 years of experience in law, politics, and public policy. Hopefully she can help us get to the bottom of this. Cleta, welcome back to the program. 
Thank you, Tony. It's always great to be with you. All right. Uh, a pretty revealing a lawsuit that was filed, the information that you have uh, acquired along with others. You know, many saying that where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Well, it looks like you've presented a lot of evidence. Yeah, a 64-page contest petition accompanied by exhibits and affidavits, nearly 100 affidavits. So it took over it's over 1,000 pages, sworn testimony. These are people who signed affidavits under penalty of perjury, there's nothing in this lawsuit that is not backed up by either a sworn affidavit by an eyewitness as to a violation of the Georgia Election Code or a declaration by an expert who has analyzed the Georgia uh, election and voting records. So every single assertion in this lawsuit is backed up by evidence. So anyone who says, and I will guarantee you that the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, has not read. He's the number one defendant. We see, you know, the Trump campaign sued him. And I guarantee you he has not read that petition. He has not read the affidavits of those Georgia citizens. He has not read the analysis of his own data. And you can't read that and and not understand that there are well more than – The number of votes, uh, illegal votes that are included in the tabulation that are illegal and should be thrown out, and the remedy under Georgia state law is a new election. Of course, the time period is so truncated with regard to a presidential campaign that that's a bit of a difficulty, but we're considering other options. But look, I mean, this election was not valid. Those results are not valid. Whatever anybody says, they are not valid. And the Secretary so, of State has a lot to answer for, in my opinion. So, Cleta, what is, at present, what is the difference in vote tallies between Joe Biden and Donald Trump in the state of Georgia? Well, it does keep changing. Let's remember that part. The Secretary of State says, oh, we've had the first vote and two recounts. It's all the same. No, we've had three different numbers. It's somewhere. It's about 11,600 I think it's 11,673 votes. Uh, so less than 12,000 votes. It's not quite, it's less than 12,000 votes. Yes, it's one half of 1% of the total uh, number of ballots cast in the, in the election. All right. So in your filings in court, you have data experts that have provided mm-hmm. sworn testimony. Now, this is under right. penalty of law by if they were to be lying uh, or provide false information. They identify thousands of illegal votes, 2,560 felons, 66,247 underage voters, 2,423 votes from people not registered, 1,043 individuals registered at post office boxes, No, not, not validating that they actually have a place and they live there, 4,926 individuals who voted in Georgia after registering in another state, which is illegal, 395 individuals who voted in two states, 15,700 votes from people who moved out of the state before the election, 40,279 people, uh, votes of people who moved without registering in their new county, and another 30,000 to 40,000 absentee ballots lacking proper signature matching verification. Now, I was not really good in math, uh, but that far <laughs> exceeds 12,000. That's exactly right. I mean, that's what's so remarkable here is that 
there are several of these uh, violations that just taken by themselves would be three to four times the number required to uh, invalidate the election. And we put it all in there. So, you know, the thing that is so frustrating is the media and, and the GOP establishment. The governor is not, has not been willing to call a special session of the legislature to allow the legislature to decide and, and exercise its constitutional duty to appoint the presidential electors. I don't know why he won't do that. He needs to call a special session simply to reaffirm uh, and put some teeth into the provision to require signature matching on the absentee ballots. That's where a lot of the fraud occurred during the November 3rd election. I don't know why he doesn't want to try to do everything he can to stop his double steal. But, you know, they stole it on November 3rd, and they're going to steal it again in January unless the governor gets some guts. Now, Cleta, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like your lawsuit focuses solely on Georgia law and how it was not enforced or upheld during this election. That's right. Well, and so the this is all about. Is yeah. Okay. Go right, ahead. It's all about Georgia. It's all about Georgia law, and it's necessary um, to build that record. You know, I'm a volunteer. We have some other volunteers uh, helping because there's just so much that needed to be included. Um, and the goal was to create a public record that demonstrated the extent of the violations and the illegality and the fact that um, when the legislatures of the, the legislature, understand this, the legislatures of the states are, are designated under the U.S. Constitution as being responsible for determining the manner in which presidential electors are, electors are appointed. And all the legislatures have created these election codes and let the people uh, have a voice. That's not specified in the Constitution. But when the uh, legislature exercises that authority and says, all right, you've got to follow this election code, and then the election is conducted not in keeping with the election code, the legislature should reclaim its constitutional responsibility and choose the um, presidential electors. That is what the Constitution provides. There's actually no provision to vote for the citizens to vote. This is an element of the rule of law. I mean, we have rules, we have laws in place to ensure that things function and everybody can agree with the final outcome. So when laws are being violated or ignored... I mean, it, it should concern everyone. And, and part of the filing in this in, in this particular suit, as I understand it, was uh, showing that this is not just a one-off, that there it appears to be a coordinated effort across the country and other states to violate the laws passed by legislatures through the courts uh, using other officials. Is that is that accurate? That's exactly right. That is exactly right. The Democrats. And their left-wing allies started in 2019, well before COVID, I might add. Don't forget that H.R. 1, the first bill taken up by Nancy Pelosi when the Democrats won control of the House in 2018, H.R. 1 in January was a massive election bill that would have provided for all of these absentee ballots everywhere in the country, et cetera. And then when COVID came in, but they started suing, even in 2019, they started filing lawsuits. They filed two suits in Mississippi, two suits in Louisiana, you know, two suits in <laughs> practically every state, through five suits in North Carolina. And, and they, what they did was that they, they 
spent literally hundreds of millions of dollars. Might not surprise you to learn that George Soros funded it. Mark Elias managed it. Of uh, um, you know the whole RussiaGate uh, fame, and they filed lawsuits all over the country to get judges to adopt laws, quote unquote laws or, or orders that basically threw out the duly enacted laws of the state legislatures. That's what they did. And the Secretary of State in Georgia, when he was sued by Stacey Abrams and that and her crowd, instead of fighting them and saying, No, I have no authority, you know, and the judge has no authority to change the law, that's the legislature's responsibility, he ended up settling with them and entered into a consent decree. He's just he wants to be loved by the left. And you and I both know what happens to Republican office holders when they decide that they like to be loved by the media and the left. It's not good for conservatives. No. And the coronavirus provided the perfect storm. And now all the pieces yeah. begin to come together, how there were Democratic governors that just really exaggerated the the threat, the scare, the fear, and the media helped them to push a lot of these election changes, not through the legitimate yeah. channels of the legislatures, but through the courts. Um, well, they couldn't, they couldn't pass it through the legislature. So they, that's right. They did it another way. Yeah. Kalita, thanks so much for joining us. Always, always great to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks. Folks, this is uh, disturbing. We're going to talk some more about this. But coming up next, another lawsuit, 38 U.S. senators joining with the Attorney General of Kentucky, who's lining up against the governor down there over religious freedom. That's next. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll, it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. 
We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. Merry Christmas. You know, as we approach the end of uh, what has been a very long and challenging year, we know that there are monumental battles on the horizon in 2021. It doesn't matter who's in the Oval Office. There's going to be battles, maybe more intense, depending on the outcome. But here's the good news. You can partner with FRC to make a difference. Uh, when, when you give anything to FRC before December 31st, your gift will be doubled and the impact will be doubled through a uh, $1 million matching challenge. So you can keep Washington Watch on the air, FRC strong on Capitol Hill. Uh, you can help us defend faith, family, and freedom. Call us. We've got folks standing by to take your call, 800 225 4008. Again, 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. And again, your uh, contribution will be doubled. It will be matched. So it will be doubled between now and December 31st. As I mentioned, 38 U.S. senators have filed a brief urging the Supreme Court to reaffirm religious liberty. They're joining with the Attorney General of Kentucky, who's squaring off with the governor of Kentucky, Governor Bashir, uh, who is uh, using the coronavirus once again, as a, uh, as, a, as a cloak to put the dagger in religious freedom. Joining me now to, uh, to talk more about this, James Langford, Senator of Oklahoma and one of the 38 members of the Senate. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be with you again, Tony. All right. This is um, we're seeing this happening. I mean, this has been happening for the last 10 months all across the country. But some some good developments here where we see the court stepping in. uh, And now we've got uh, senators standing unified in defense of religious freedom. Are you optimistic the court's going to step in here? I am optimistic on this. The, the court stepped in just uh, uh, right before Thanksgiving in New York uh, and stated that the governor of New York can't say that uh, bars and bike shops can be open, but churches cannot be open in certain zones. Uh, they've done the same thing now to California and to the governor of California and said, you, you can't just declare that churches are higher risk uh, than other locations, so I'm going to close them down. So, in fact, the, the attorney general of California Javier Becerra personally uh, engaged in this to try to block churches from meeting, saying, in his opinion, churches are more high risk because people get together and sing. And uh, if you're singing, that's a higher risk. 
and then now this situation in Kentucky, uh, where if you're a religious school, you're being blocked out on that. So we're, we're pushing back in that. The, the court so far in California and New York has pushed back. I'm confident they will in Kentucky as well. You know, Senator, when I look at this, it is so blatant. In, in fact, you made reference to this last Supreme Court decision where Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch, and his um, opinion I mean, he, he he basically says as as much that th- there's no justification for this. This is plain and simple religious discrimination. It is plain and simple religious discrimination. That's what it made so appalling in California, especially uh, with Javier Becerra stepping out and saying if people sing and gather in places, that's a higher risk. Uh, to be able to do that. And so it's okay to be able to go to the store. It's okay to be able to go to a bowling alley. Uh, it's okay to be able to gather in other places, but just don't gather in worship places uh, because it doesn't meet his preference uh, to be able to do that. It's clearly the issue here in Kentucky as well uh, to, uh, because the governor very specifically stated uh, that he doesn't want schools to be able to meet, even if they're a religious institution, uh, to be able to meet. That's a preference thing for the governor, but he still allowed other preschools to be open. He still allowed other stores to be open, other businesses businesses to be open. Uh, and so, it, again, you can't just step in and say, even even specifically as the governor did in Kentucky, religious institutions have to close because that's the governor's preference. Thankfully, the United States Constitution supersedes the governor and people of faith, no matter what faith that may be, have the, have the opportunity to be able to live their faith. Yeah, unfortunately, you now have a court that uh, agrees with the Constitution and will uh, defend it, which is encouraging. You mentioned twice uh, the Attorney General of California, Harvey, uh, Javier Barcera, uh, and you know he is actually being talked about, uh, in fact, not been talked about, the uh, potential Biden administration talking about naming him as Secretary of Health and Human Services. Uh, he has a pretty radical record when it comes to uh, to, to issues not like religious freedom, conscience rights, and, and life issues. This guy is pretty far out there. He is extremely far left, actually, and uh, he would be a very serious risk to the life of every young child in America. Uh, if they're in the womb, they're at risk with a Javier Becerra. Uh, as the uh, Attorney General of the United States, because he will, or in HHS, because he is going to try to push in every way he can to expand abortion in the United States uh, if he were to be in that role. And there's just no question about that. Uh, he is one that would try to expand uh, uh, the oversight of government oversight of a private health care insurance, all the things that there's been so much work to be able to protect the rights of people of conscience and people of faith. Uh, that's not his preference, and so he has clearly tried to impose his preference on people of faith in California. I have no doubt if he was in HHS, he would try to impose his preference as well there. So when you look at individuals like uh, Barcera, um, that brings a really fine focus onto the United States uh, Senate and these uh, this, these two seats that will be decided in Georgia, because that will decide whether or not someone like that will be confirmed to that post. That is correct. Uh, so the, the, the seats in Georgia are extremely important uh, because there's an enormous difference between a 50-50 Senate uh, and a 52-48 Senate, uh, just in what legislation is actually taken up, how we handle nominations, uh, what the process will be to be able to go through for judges. Uh, all those things will be very, very important. Uh, so for the people of Georgia to be able to make that decision, uh, literally the entire country is focused in on what's going to happen in Georgia right now with already uh, early voting that's already occurring, or on January the 5th, the actual election day itself. Uh, very quickly, Senator Langford, you've been working with the Department of Labor announcing today a, a final rule 
that upholds religious liberty, showing such a contrast between what we're just talking about and what's been happening in the last four years. Yeah, it's a great rule in the Obama-Biden administration locked down on people of faith that they couldn't partner with government if they're a faith-based institution. This administration has completely flipped that rule and said faith-based groups are treated exactly the same as other groups. There should be no discrimination against them. That's all anyone should ask. Treat everyone the same, whether regardless of faith or not. And, of course, uh, we can look for an incoming Biden administration to reverse that rule, but it'll take them some time to do that. Senator Langford, as always, thanks for being with us. Uh, Great to talk with you, my friend. You as well. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you as well. All right. uh, Today's all about lawsuits. Um, The Supreme Court receiving arguments tomorrow from Pennsylvania officials responding to a lawsuit by Congressman Mike Kelly. We'll talk with uh, Pete Hutchinson. Next, here on Washington Watch with Landmark Legal Foundation. Don't go away. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Merry Christmas. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. If you'd like to uh, partner with us, anything you contribute to Washington Watch FRC between now and December 31st will be matched. We've got a $1 million matching challenge out there. So give our folks a call. They're standing by to take your phone call, 800-225-4008, 800-225-4008. Okay, yesterday the U.S. Supreme Court moved up a deadline for Pennsylvania officials to respond to a lawsuit, an appeal from U.S. Congressman Mike Kelly, 
uh, who has argued Pennsylvania's vote-by-mail law is unconstitutional constitutional, and that every mail ballot cast in the state should be rejected. Joining me to talk more about this is the president of Landmark Legal Foundation uh, that is involved in this lawsuit, Pete Hutchinson. Pete, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Well, Pete, some are arguing that this decision by Justice Alito is significant because of the timing. Is that so? Well, the the fact that Justice Alito asked for a response at all is is significant. Uh, it would have been very easy if he if he uh, did not think there was any merit uh, in this uh, appeal to simply dismiss it. Uh, but uh, inviting or uh, giving a deadline to the Commonwealth to file a response is significant, indeed. Well, in the 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 timing of it by moving it up uh, a day, you know, some are suggesting that this new deadline falls on the same day as the safe harbor date, which deals with electoral uh, the the uh, nomination and confirmation of electors. And so that this gives uh, time for the court to decide something before Pennsylvania makes action uh, on on the on that front. Well, that's an interesting point, and it's a good one. If they could uh, they could decide the whole thing tomorrow, I suppose. And uh, but the safe harbor uh, provision is is not an end all be all. It doesn't uh, mean that Pennsylvania is not going to be able to cast its ba- uh, uh, presidential electors uh, as. Uh, you know, as it as it is lawfully uh, determined that they should be cast, um, but uh, it is an important deadline. But it's not, you know, I don't I don't I don't read too much into it, uh, okay. uh, to be honest. So, what is at the heart of the challenge of Congressman Kelly's uh, appeal regarding the state's mail-in ballot law? Well, now, this is a very significant challenge. This isn't, uh, you know, sort of vague claims of, of uh, conspiracies and that sort of thing. What this is is a, a constitutional challenge based on the Pennsylvania Constitution that, that uh, specifies when a person can vote absentee or in a male situation. Uh, the Constitution is very clear. There's very limited situation. The, uh, but the legislature last year uh, expanded uh, the opportunities for mail-in voting uh, dramatically, and then the state Supreme Court, just ahead of the election, expanded it even further. Both of those uh, actions were unconstitutional under Pennsylvania law. Now, the, where the federal Supreme Court comes in uh, is under the U.S. Constitution, legislatures are given exclusive authority uh, to set the, the rules for choosing presidential electors, uh, but but they are limited in how they do that by their state constitutions. And so that's the issue on appeal here, um, and it's, uh, you know, it's a legitimate challenge, and it's an important one, because if, so, if uh, the... Go ahead. Well, I was just say, Pete. So basically, is they didn't play by the rules that are established in the Constitution. That's right. They they uh, they set their own rules, and 
And it's interesting that that the, the state legislature, it's very complicated to amend the Pennsylvania Constitution. And the state legislature initiated that process two years ago uh, to allow for some mail, some expanded uh, absentee and mail voting. But that process has not been completed. And uh, it's an indication that they understood or understand that uh, what they've done in this legislation allowing uh, mail-in voting for uh, the presidential election was unconstitutional under their own law. Uh, so, so they understood that they were doing something unlawful. And shame on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, for not only allowing them to go forward, but to make it even worse by expanding it further. Uh, that's no. unlawful activity that ought to be rejected by the U.S. Supreme Court because it implicates the federal constitution and the choice of the president. Now, now, Pete, very quickly, we're almost out of time, but uh, the Pennsylvania officials are saying, well, Mike Kelly should have done something earlier. Uh, he waited until after the election and his candidate, his favorite candidate, lost. Well, under their, under their state law, the way they've interpreted it, if he would have tried to do something earlier, they would have thrown it out and said, you're too soon, you're too early. Now they're saying he didn't you're have too standing. Late. That's right. They would have said that you don't have standing. So he's doing it That's now right. that you, he, he has standing. That's well, right. uh, so Pete, thanks so much for when... yeah. Th- thanks so much for uh, for joining us, and, and thanks for uh, representing uh, Mike Kelly uh, in this lawsuit. Okay. I think it is important. I think it is important that we operate according to the rules. The Constitution is the agreement by which the people agree to be governed, and everybody has to operate within those boundaries. Pete, thanks so much for for being with us, folks. Uh, don't go away. On the other side of the break, Dan Celia from uh, Financial Issues joins us. What we see coming uh, when you look at a Biden administration and corporate America that's off the rails when it comes to liberalism. It's like Frankenstein marries Godzilla. That's next. Don't go away. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, it is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. 
To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. And you know what? I, I, I really hate to uh, contradict Bing Crosby. But, you know, it, it's, I'm having a hard time envisioning and, and really getting into the Christmas spirit in the age of Corona. I mean, I saw Santa Claus in a, uh, like, like a little plastic cage uh, where, you know, you, you had this plastic all around him where you couldn't get to him because he didn't want to get Corona. Uh, and, of course, everybody's running around with masks. I mean, it, it's, it's a little hard to get into the Christmas spirit, but I, I'm doing my best. And, and by the way, we've got some folks here, they need something to do. They need you to call them. They're waiting there, standing by the phone to take your call as we uh, move into the end of the year. This is uh, the end of the year. We've got to uh, just begin next year strong so we can defend faith, family, and freedom against all the attacks and keep Washington Watch going on the airwaves of America because you see how social media and the cable news network all going to the left, choking down the conservative voice. So everything you give between now and December 31st will be matched. We have a $1 million matching challenge. So give our folks a call, 800-225-4008, 800-225-4008, or you can go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we've been talking about the last uh, couple of weeks, some of the names popping up for consideration by a Biden administration, I mean, far left. Uh, Barcera, we just talked about him, attorney general in uh, California, far left. Uh, I think on FRC issues when he was in Congress, he was a former mem- member of Congress. He voted against FRC's position like 127 times. But when you combine that with what we've been seeing in corporate America over really the last accelerating in the last five to six years, I mean, this could be, as I said earlier, going into the break, kind of a, a, a marriage between Frankenstein and Godzilla when it comes to um, social issues. Case in point, NASDAQ, they have a proposal 
um, with the SEC that would require one board member from every publicly traded company uh, who uh, is from an underrepresented minority, being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, forcing businesses to make what happens in people's bedrooms a part of the boardroom. Join me now to talk more about this. Dan Celia, president and CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries and nationally syndicated radio and TV host of Financial Issues on more than 660 stations across America. Dan Celia, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, it's great to be back with you. Thank you, thank you for having me on. I, I wish we weren't talking about what we're going to talk about, but I, I am uh, glad to be here with you. Well, I, I think people need to realize what we're looking at when you have corporate America. And, and I'll have to say, I believe Donald Trump and his policies have been holding them back. They would have already been there. But when you combine that with the with the Biden administration, I think people need to be aware of what is around the corner. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tony. And this is a horrifying uh, thing when the NASDAQ uh, is pushing this. Look. Uh, they're not going to have any trouble getting the proposal through because who's going to say no to it? There's nobody that's going to say no to it. They don't want to get clobbered by, uh, you know, they're, you know, they want to be light. They don't care about what their thinking is. This is a classic case of their ideology driving what is right for their company and what is right for America. I mean, it is, it's sad, but it's going to happen. And here's the thing that I don't want your listeners to forget. So don't listen to this and say, ah, you know, it's not a big deal. So it's one board member. It's two board members. It's not a big deal. You know, we don't want to discriminate against anybody. Let them on the board. No, 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 no. That's not the problem. That's not even the issue. The issue is what they will bring with them. They will influence the company and the board to start supporting financially these agendas. This is going to be a key component. It's like having the president of the United Way on your board. Where do you think what, why do you think he's there? He's there to influence the board for the United Way. Or if you have someone from Planned Parenthood to influence the board, that influence is going to carry a lot of weight. There's going to be your stockholder money, your earnings. You own part of the company. If you own stock in that company, and that money is going to be going to feed this agenda that is going to give them the kind of propaganda money that they're going to need to make sure this gets into every school from kindergarten up, these agendas. It is a, a, a much bigger threat than we might think. Uh, Dan Celia, what is the point of having boards of directors? Is it not the, number one, to make sure the business operates according to the law with their and they return a profit to their stockholders don't you want people that know what they're doing when it comes to running a business being on a board absolutely because they have one job to to bring make sure the company is bringing value as you've said to the board members that's their job they want to see the stock price going up, not down. They want to see value 
built the, the the capitalization of the company growing and building. That's what the boards traditionally have held the CEOs and the CFOs of these companies feet to the fire if this isn't happening. I'll give you a great example of what a board should do. I said this during the whole Target debacle. We won't get into all the details. Everybody knows a lot of what happened there with Target. I said the next day that that board should immediately fire the CEO. Why? Not because of that particular decision. But think about this. The CEO is in charge of a retail store. He's got The CEO's got one thing he has to do. Get feet walking down the aisles. That's all. That's all right. you care about. I got to get feet. I got to get people in the store. You just alienated 2 million shoppers. You ought to be fired because you've lost your focus on what we're about. We're a retail company. We want to sell stuff to people. These are the kinds of things that, are, that, that the boards are turning. They're looking at everything with these ideological blinders on, and they're missing the very essence, the very reason why they exist and why their company exists. And this is, I mean, this is a horrible, horrible thing because you've got thousands of companies listed on the NASDAQ right. that are going to have to, some of them are going to be forced to do something that they don't want to do. Well, my prediction, Dan Celia, I mean, as we see, you know, woke meets Wall Street is that, uh, you're going to see. You're going to look. There's there going to be unintended consequences, as there are with all of these type of policies. Is that you're going to see ten years down the road, you're going to see um, there was corruption on these boards. There was other things that were done because uh, businesses were not operating according to business principles, but according to woke social justice principles, and something's going to suffer. Something's going to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to suffer. America's going to suffer. Our economies are going to suffer. And uh, jobs are going to suffer. Big businesses are going to suffer. Uh, and that's exactly, you know, part of the plan. The elite uh, of, of Wall Street thinks that they're always they're, – they're really just dumb enough, I'm going to say, right. which uh, to believe that they're going to always exist. This is not going to hurt them. Uh, it is, and it's going to hurt um, everybody in America. It's very, very sad. This started, you know, by a guy by the name of Larry Fink, BlackRock. This was his whole idea with the social justice roundtable discussions with corporate America. By the way, he's president of BlackRock, the largest uh, money manager in the world. And, um, you know, so he's got a lot of clout. So, you know, what, what Larry wants once done, everybody's going to fall into lockstep. But well, just, you know, just for people to kind of consider the numbers here for a moment, since we're talking about business um, and NASDAQ, there's about 3,000 companies out there that I think they would mm-hmm. fall under this provision. And, and although there seems like there's a, a gay, lesbian, or transgender identifying character on every channel or commercial these days, the actual reality is far different. Now, this population, which seems to dominate 
political and cultural conversations is actually quite small. In 2018, yes. Gallup's survey found that LGBT-identifying adults made up less than 5% of the country. So you're going to have to have some of these people serving on multiple boards in order for them to meet these companies to meet the requirements of NASDAQ. And, and as you alluded to earlier, there's no possible way they can be qualified. Yeah, this is like this is like uh, Hunter Biden serving on the board of an oil company. I mean, it's you know, you're going to have a whole lot of people that are only qualified to talk about their so-called social justice, uh, um, you know, agenda. They're not going to be qualified to run a company. It's horrible if you're a stockholder. And uh, my prediction, Dan Zeal, another prediction here today. I'm into predictions. Um, the media <laughs> will treat the results of this just like they did Hunter Biden. They will bury it, and yep. we will not absolutely. know the truth. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. That is exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, we've got, again, this party-run media that is, you know, turning more and more into a propaganda machine. And it is, it's going to be devastating. Uh, for America, and yeah, you know, five percent for to appease five percent. Right, this right. is the will of the minority controlling yeah. the majority. And folks, this is all the more reason why we have to speak up about these issues. It's why we need alternative, conservative, Christian, trustworthy media sources because you cannot trust the mainstream media. And I'm including all of the cable networks in there. I'm including Fox. I'm including CNN, MSNBC. They have all bought into the left's agenda. And uh, you've got to make sure you have trustworthy sources. If, if, If Washington Watch isn't what you want, go somewhere and find a conservative source. Of course, we bring you the newsmakers themselves, and you can hear it straight from their lips, unfiltered. Um, Dan Celia, I want to move on to basic some economic news. What, what's happening in the in the world of jobs? What's happening with the economy? What can we expect in this time of uncertainty? Well, I think what we can really expect in the short run, the short term, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of change. I think jobs will pick up as the vaccine comes in. To affect whether you believe in all this or not, uh, the vaccine is going to give business sentiment a sense of confidence, and they're going to get back to work again. The question is, how long are they going to work? My bigger, my biggest concern about the economy is probably six to eight months out, uh, because I think there's going to be a huge wake-up uh, cry from corporate America that's going to say, "Oh my word, what have we done?" And uh, that's, I think, that is going to set in, and I think. The last three, the next, you know, we'll, get, we'll give the 12 months, first 12 months, somewhat of a pass. But the economy is not going to survive what's going to happen. It's just not. Because I, I'll just, just give an example, Tony. I know that somebody asked me just a little bit ago about why this corona fear is still so persistent after the election. I thought we thought it was going to go away. I said it can't go away. It can't go away for this reason. And you can, this is my prediction, you can take it to the bank. The left cannot allow this thing to pass without taking advantage of this uh, crisis. And Nancy Pelosi will get her wish list of a four, four and a half trillion dollar relief bill. 
that is going to complete her wish list, com- uh, fulfill all the needs of her special interest groups, the lobbyists. It's going to bail out the mismanaged cities that have been mismanaged for 50 years, the mismanaged states that have been mismanaged, the pension funds that have been been mismanaged and full of corruption. It's going to bail them all out so they can start all over again doing what they have been doing. And that's where the money's going. It's not going to help us. It's not going to help the economy. It's not going to help the taxpayers. But they need to be able to get this $4 trillion deal. And the only way they can do it is to maintain the fear about this coronavirus. And they're going to come to the rescue with this $4 trillion bill. And if we lose Georgia, they're going to they're going to pull it off fairly easily. Right. And that will only be more of a ball and chain around our economy in the months and years ahead with that type of debt mounting so rapidly. Uh, Dan Celia, out of time. I want to thank you, as always, uh, for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate being on. I appreciate what you All do. Right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. And Merry Christmas. Yep. Merry Christmas to you. God bless. Folks, all the more reason we need to be praying and working. If you live in Georgia, I think you should know you need to be voting. This is an important election. By the way, speaking of Georgia, I'm going to be there uh, next Tuesday night. We're going to be up in Cleveland, Georgia. Pray, vote, stand rally. i got a lot of folks invited. Uh, Todd Starnes is going to be there. Uh, Mike Huckabee. Uh, The two senators have been invited. So, I'll have more for you about that. Visit PrayVoteStand.org. We'll have some information up there. Also, folks still standing by to take your call, 800-225-4008. Until next time, you know what to do. Keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 